0: To Battle Red Radio, my name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal, our good buddy, BFT. How are you doing tonight, man?
1: Man, I am so excited to be talking about the sh- or to, to do the show tonight. There's been so much that the Texans have done in the off season to improve this roster, and I'm just so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because like the last time we spoke. Um, uh, Bradley Roby just signed for a one year, $10 million deal. Brian body Calhoun had just signed as well too. And it was two weeks ago. And since then, I think like four things have happened. And like across like the NFL in general, not a whole lot has happened the last two weeks. I think the idea here is that teams are just kind of going to wait for the NFL draft to take place. And then once that happens, they're going to see the holes that they have evaluate and then make moves and decisions from there. Like yeah, I mean, like even the Colts aren't signing anybody. The Texans aren't signing anybody. The Browns aren't signing anybody. The 49ers aren't signing anybody. All these teams in a lot of cap space still are just kind of hanging out, you know, watching around, not doing anything.
1: It kind of seemed like it, and then, and then the Colts sat silent all through the major signing period. All they did was re up Pierre Desir and re up Chester Rogers, and then all of a sudden they do a thing, Matt, and that was a pretty big thing, I thought.
0: Oh, it's not just Justin Houston for I think Houston, years, you know, twenty four million dollars or whatever.
1: I think that was a pretty. I, I think that was the Colts going into that signing had the most cap space in the NFL, had a serious need for a pass rusher on the defense, and they got guy you know a guy who's going to have who's like their Julius Peppers. He's going to be able to come in on clear sub package pack you know uh, sub packages and get to the quarterback, they give him five, 600 snaps to keep him fresh. I think he's going to be like a 10, 12 set guy in that kind of scenario.
0: Yeah, I would, I would guess 12 is a good number for him. I, could, I know like the first player I really realized do this or teams used him as was Dwight Freeney did this for like four years after yeah. he left Indianapolis where he played 25 snaps a game. Each one was an obvious pass rushing downs. I love the idea of that too, of just having like a veteran pass rusher who has had great production throughout their career. But just only play them 20 snaps, just kind of using them as a bullpen arm uh, like they do in baseball where, you know, they come in for this one specific role to get one specific out. There's some the they just hanging out, you know, having a good time.
1: And it's really, it's a perfect scenario for Helm as well because he's going to a team that's going to compete. That's what he wanted. And, you know, you kind of look at some of his, his comparables and, and it's not, they're not fair because he has a lot more sacks than a lot of these guys, but when you start seeing guys like Johnny Holland and Connor Barwin, you know, these are there are a couple of pretty good linebackers on his list of, uh, of comps, but the difference is, is he gets a lot more sacks than they do. So I, I really I, – I think if you're a Colts fan, you have to be super excited about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would be if I was a Colts fan. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. Uh, I think uh, Brian Gain is a Colts fan because he just saw what <laughs> – Uh, Ryan Ballard has done for the last two years like oh I like that I'm gonna do the same thing except the difference of course is that Deshaun Watson's making I think seven million dollars this year and Andrew Luck is making I think like 23 million dollars this year and that's the difference between the two uh and going from a rebuilding team to whatever but I do like the Houston signing I do just like the idea of a guy who exists purely to rush the passer as that sort of bullpen arm and, you know, Freene did a good job with it. I could see Terrell Suggs doing something similar in Arizona. I wanted Houston to sign, man, you know, I'm getting so old and stupid. I can't remember anything. Uh, and here it is. I wanted Houston to sign Elvis Dummerville like two years ago for the same You're reason. Right. He had, you know, how many sacks did he have in San Francisco that year? Nine, you know, he had a, he was a productive pass rusher that year. It's the same sort of thing where you have a guy who only plays 20 snaps, 25 snaps to rush the passer. And so I assume Houston's gonna be using a similar role there because the Colts do play a ton of nickel, where it's just Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker. They don't really play very many three linebacker sets at all. It's like I can see Houston just playing, you know, third down, second and twelve, those sorts of uh, those sorts of spots, you know.
1: Yeah. Um And, you know, when we we had a list out of who we wanted, you know, the the Mass had wanted, had somebody that we wanted the team to sign, my guy that I picked on defense was Justin Houston, exactly for this reason. And we've talked about it a lot on the show that, that, you know, signing Angelo Blackson does nothing for us, but signing Justin Houston would have done a lot for us in the same exact scenario. You get four or five legit guys who can get to the quarterback on third down, instead, we're going to see the rotation of Brandon Dunn and DJ Reader and Angela Blackson and guys who aren't ever going to get to the quarterback and who, who literally have no value defensively in sub-packages. And we could have. We could have had Justin Houston. We had the cap room to do it. We'll or, do that.
0: Or they could have had Sheldon Richardson or Malik Jackson or, you know, an interior rusher as well, too. But, yeah, the Blackson signing, I think, has been uh, probably the worst signing the Texans have made you know, so far this offseason. I don't understand it at all. Uh, whatsoever, like I, I wrote about, you know, two weeks or so or whatever. You know who I think the Texans really need this offseason and can really use right now? Uh, who? Antonio Smith. That's what they need. Oh, God. Yeah, that They need 2010 Antonio Smith. Like, that's what this defense is missing. And uh, I think Sheldon Richardson could have been that exact same type of player. And I, I think that was just like that and the Saffold thing are like two enormous whiffs. So they made those two moves. I feel so much better about where they're at right now than where we currently are, and I think the weird thing too, it's going to happen after the draft, whenever free agency kind of opens back up again, is if the Colts and Texans are both going after the same players, because the Colts have thirty-two million dollars more in cap space, and so like the Colts are pretty much that uh, fancy auction team where they don't make any picks until like the twenty-fifth pick, and they just get whoever they want after that, and they just pretty much control everything and dominate everything. And so we're about to see that here in like, you know, a month, whenever uh, the draft ends and it's me it's me weird to see like if Houston and India are the same guy at the same time. And I uh, have the culture really now. it Houston kind of like, you know, bully the rest of the league around that way.
1: Well, and they can, and, and what we've seen, I've got a lot that I want to cover on, on the show tonight. And, and one of those is the misperception of, of overspending for free agents because this is how the game is played. You fill in the holes. You, you sign Justin Houston to a two-year $24 million contract because number one, you've got the cap space. Number two, that signing never, ever, ever, ever going to affect your cap situation, ever. So you go out spend the money. The only thing you're doing is going out and spending some old dude's money that he just he's gonna light it on fire anyway. Go spend the money to get your players. Flags fly forever. So the that fact that Justin Houston signed for that contract makes literally no difference to the cap situation. So don't come back with some hipster take that, you go, should go GM the Raiders and burn all the cash space. Who cares? The, Raiders, or the Colts are a lot more competitive because of this. So it, the, what Brian Gain has shown us in, in this offseason is that he has a limit. So he had a limit of Tyron Matthew $9.5 million a year. Thank Durga for that. What he showed us he had a limit of probably 11 million dollars a year for Roger Saffold. So Brian Gaines just going around saying, "Hey, here are my cards. You want to see them? See them? Aren't they pretty? See them?" And so of course the NFLs are going to outbid us because they just know that at some point Gaines is going to go, "No, that he's above. That's too far above fair value. I'm not going to pay it." And yeah. fair value gets tossed out the window on free agency.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I'm fine with the with the fair value thing, but I think there are certain situations where you have to pay for more. Because, I mean, really the way free agency works is kind of simple. It's that you're not paying w- for what the player is worth. You're paying what it takes to get them to your team. And so, like, if you want, it, if you want a guy, you're going to have to spill a bit more free agency to get them. And then the second thing, too, to keep in mind with free agency is that uh, you're, the way that you kill your cap, the way that you kill your team, isn't by spending money on free agents. It's by overpaying for mediocre talent. So it's by paying Nate Solder as much as New York paid last year. It's by paying Trent Brown probably how much the Raiders paid him this year. It's by making decisions like that where you're just overpaying for a guy who, you know, is fine, but he's not, you know, incredible. He doesn't make other players better on his team. And so that's the, that's the trouble that you run into with, you know, these big salaries and these, like, five-year deals and that sort of thing with, you know, $40 million guaranteed. But, you know, signing Houston for that much isn't an issue. The, I think the deal is Saffold time for a 31-year-old guard. Well, like, you're only, play, you're only really paying him for two years is worth it. I think the Jackson and you know, Richardson deals are worth it as well too, and uh, and like you know it just kind of goes back to the other end like you just don't want to pay Nate Solder 13 million a year, you don't want to pay Trent Brown you know a 16 million dollar year cap space this year, and that sort of thing, and that's what that's how like free agency kills your team. It's not by making the deals that you just Houston made and Saffold made this year.
1: Yeah, and it's also picking and choosing those battles. I mean, those are those are great examples of mediocrity yeah. signing you know being signed for those and, and Roger Saffold is a much better lineman than either of those two guys that you've just talked about, Solder and, and uh, Trent Brown. But it's, it's also that you can do a lot at the edges with, the, with, the, uh, with um, guaranteed money, with not extending. To me, I see the biggest problems of free agency being extending mediocrity, not signing mediocrity as much as extending mediocrity. And that's where you get yourself into a position. Like Matt Shaw was in that case a couple of years ago where we extended him. And he he was clearly on the downhill path, and that hurt us in our our cap situation. So I see that as as a bigger risk. Take one or two guys, overpay them. You're going to have to do that eventually anyway to be competitive. And You can't just always build a team by saying, look, I'm going to limit what I'm going to pay this position because ain't nobody going to sign for you. And the guys that do want to sign for you ain't going to be good. We got lucky with Matthew. We got lucky with getting Tayshaun Gibson. But we really lost out with Roger Saffold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is to pick and choose. And even by saying like extending mediocre talent, it still is the same thing. If you sign a mediocre player for too much, you know, they both have the same amount of value in the team. Mm-hmm. You're both you're paying, you're ever paying for the same thing, regardless if they played here, you know, two years before or not.
1: Sorry. I, I get that. It's, I see the, uh, I guess I see it more the internal. Yeah, the like the issues
0: the, te- the issues the Texans have made in the past hasn't been haven't been overpaying for mediocre talent. Uh, it's been more, you know, extending mediocre talent. Like they, you know, it's kind of, I mean, like even back then, though, like extending shop, extending Cushing, it's just even as a fan, like it's good to see that where you have your guys, you have to keep watching them. And the le- less player turnover from a fan's perspective is always better. So you can really enjoy a player instead of having them come in and out and just kind of run right through and nothing really matters at all.
1: Right. Of course, the biggest, the most important thing you need to do is sign the local heroes and, and draft them number one overall, like, like Johnny Manziel.
0: Of course. Go
1: of course. That's the most important thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, the, the first move that Texans made since we last spoke is they signed Darren Fells on a one year contract. And all these contracts are one year contracts. It's pretty much the exact same Ballard did in Indy uh, the two years previous. He did the same thing last year. He's doing the same thing this year, too. And Fells is just a blocking tight from Cleveland. Uh, do you think this is a move that Texans needed to make? And also, the Texans currently have four tight ends on the roster. If you say it's Bells, Ryan Griffin, Jordan Thomas, and Jordan Aikens, uh, do you think they can actually carry all four of them to the final squad? Or is this just kind of one guy that's going to be the on-man-out for the 2019 season?
1: The second that I heard we signed Bells, my first immediate thought was, this is our Candle Lamb replacement, the 2016 version, when we were so dead set on lining him up as a tight end.
0: And I offensive line sets and all that. Yeah, he was so. I remember if you, I can pull up the FOA and send you the numbers for it. But if you look at it, he just didn't have like a DVOA of like negative 33 percent, 32nd in the league whenever they use six offensive line sets with Cannell Lamb because he's like a terrible run blocker. One, and then uh, they also ran six offensive line sets more than any other team in the league, too. I think that was the 2016 Texans. I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll send it to you.
1: Yeah, it was that 2016 squad because we made fun of it so often because Kendall Lamb was so bad, and all of a sudden Kendall Lamb was like decent, like at pass blocking. Yeah,
0: not run blocking. One of the worst run blockers you can you'll ever
1: watch. Right. So, uh, uh, that's what I kind of see Bells as, which tells me once again, you've got a dynamic playmaker in Deshaun Watson, and you're focused on going heavy in the run game. is, Is what the. Kind of, I'm getting. So, do I think it's feasible? Yes, I absolutely do think it's feasible. We take, we keep four tight ends because Bellis is going to be looked at as a as a blocking offensive lineman. I mean, look, we brought in Jake Fisher to do, to play the same role, to play the Kendall Lamb role. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. This infatuation with establishing run first mentality. And so, oh, absolutely. And and Ryan Griffin, it has to simply be on the roster because I I we can't go a moment without him.
0: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing about the fellow signing, which is good, is like there's less chances for Bill O'Brien to put his tight ends in blocking situations, (laughs) you know, whatsoever. Like I know you talked, we talked a lot about that Ryan Griffin pulling on the jet sweep play, missing the block completely, and Deshaun Watson sacked and pretty much ruining the red zone trip. And it's more indicative of like you understand that Ryan Griffin's not the best blocker at all. uh, So why put him in that situation? Why have him constantly be? you know, at the the focal point, outside zone plays, whenever, you know, he struggles in blocking, why not let him do things he's better at doing, like run seam routes and those sorts of things. So uh, that's why I like the fellow signing is that no more the situation should happen again. That should be the end of it. Just put those guys on the backside, let them, you know, block back on the outside linebacker if you go two tight end sets or whatever. Uh, and you have bells there too. But, you know, I mean, overall, like, I don't know. I would rather have them, you know, run out more five sets, uh, run more out of the shotgun formations and that sort of thing. Then run, even then even use one tight end attached to the line level on two. So if it means more, you know, two tight end sets or whatever, fine. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's not gonna be fine. if that actually is what happens. But uh, I can see why they made the signing. The only reason why I'd like it is that it does put the tight ends who are better receiving than having to make blocks, so they just can't make it otherwise.
1: Yeah, and I don't. Disagree with that necessarily. What I do disagree with is the being fine with running two tight end sets because we don't have a tight end really on the roster who creates such a mismatch problem. The two Jordans I think have the potential. I would like to see them used. But now you sign you sign Daniel Fells and he's going to be one of those tight ends, and and the other one is probably going to be Ryan Griffin. So what what are you really kind of trying to do here? Are you really going to take your two young guys, ones who create mismatch problems in the past game? You're just going to take them out of the equation because you didn't address the offensive line in any measurable way in the off season. This is just, man, it's just really, really 1974 football, Matt.
0: My, my favorite year, my favorite year. Uh, So the, the Texans also, you know, he's keeping up with 1974 football. They found a backup quarterback and that backup quarterback is AJ McCarron. Uh, so which tattoo of A.J. McCarron's is your favorite?
1: Oh, God, I don't know anything like that. I don't care. <laughs> I,
0: I just know he has, like, a ridiculous chest piece. He looks like, you know, a hardy boy. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just absurd.
1: Oh, my God. Oh God. Like, it's the it's most, a-
0: like, it's the most northern Kentucky thing you'll ever see. Like, it was perfect for him to play for the Bengals as long as he did.
1: And I think AJ McCarron is like the perfect choice as a Houston Texans backup because he has absolutely no history of success as a pro quarterback and he's just tall and white and wow. And I know I I realized what just came out of my mouth, but that's how I told you. I
0: I say it all the time. Whenever we talk about Texans quarterbacks, I'm like, yeah, I could play for him tall and white. I can stand the pocket strong. Uh, I don't have a good enough arm though. I can't throw the ball overhead over somebody's head (laughs) or in the ground.
1: Hey, that's not going to stop A.J. McCarron. So it's a ridiculous, and, and I, I also want to go off on, on the McCarron thing a little bit, so if you want to segue or if you want to whatever you want to do about that. But,
0: yeah, dude, it's, it's, it's you know, awesome. Smoke them up.
1: Yeah, so here we go. The reason we signed A.J. McCarron, the reason we did not sign Tyrod Taylor, or Blaine Gabbert, for crikey's sake, or any other running or quarterback who kind of I, matches the Watson. Gabbert.
0: Gabbert signed with the Bucks, and nobody told me, and I was super upset. You know, why am I? Why do I even log on the internet at all if nobody's gonna tell me what Gabbert's signing with Buccaneers?
1: Right, and Gabbert is a better choice for backup than AJ hey, sure. McCarron is. But the problem is, Deshaun Watson is going to be forced to be a pocket quarterback. That's why they signed A.J. McCarron. They didn't sign McCarron to, to copy Watson's skills. They signed Karen, McCarron so that Watson has to copy McCarron's skill set, which is sit in the pocket and make throws. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. We're going to do the same stupid stuff we did last offseason. We're going to force Deshaun Watson into a pocket quarterback where he's not going to be successful. And all evidence – be damned that that doesn't work, and it's just it's breaking my heart. We're going to be having the Deshaun Watson waste a career conversation in three years, and we're all going to cry on the podcast about it because we're all going to have giant sats.
0: I'll, I'll hopefully I've, I've liquidated everything by then, and I'm dead in the desert by the time that happens. And <sighs> poor Deshaun Watson's career gets ruined, and I know that's like the like the worst situation that could happen. I I haven't have to see it again to believe it because like. You know, one of the problems with last year's offense was they, they were doing what you're saying. It was a shock-compassing offense, but they didn't have the pass protection for it to work. And Deshaun Watson was absolutely murdered. Then they go back to like you know running play action and, and uh, kind of do more interesting things in the backfield. Like the offense was terrible until that Colts game when they did what worked in 2017. So I understand what you're saying with the McCarron thing. I hope what you're saying isn't true. I hope that's not the reason why they signed McCarron. I hope the reason why they signed him is that they feel like of all the back and quarterback options out there, that if something was to happen to Sean Watson, they could put McCarron in there and have their season not be completely ruined. Do I agree with that? No. Do I hope that's what the reasoning is? Yes. Because the the reality that you offered uh, is a much scarier, much worse. It's a world that I don't want to live in. And it's, it's not something that I don't, don't want to think about it at all. It's March. It's too beautiful a time. The flowers are, are out. My heart's ripped open. Everything feels good. Uh, I don't like those words, BFD.
1: No, and you shouldn't. And and see, here's the other thing about it that's so frustrating is that when you do look at the offense, especially the early part of 2018, it was hand the ball up the middle twice for no gain, and then you take away your play action just completely out of the game plan. Because what are you going to do, play action on third down? Who's going to bite on that? Not even Charisse Wright's going to bite on that. So you can't... I, you, I
0: think he, he would. would. I think he would.
1: Oh, he totally would. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean... what I just don't. I see kind of the same thing coming. We're bulking up the run game by signing Daniel Fells, and then we're signing AJ McCarron. I see this is going to be an instant replay of 2018. The thing is, it's going to not work at all because we ain't playing the same past season in 2019.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't like all these horrible ideas you're putting in my head right now. Uh, yeah, and like the thing I about McCarron at all, like it's a one year signing, it's whatever. Whoever, they could pay him $15 million a year. It doesn't matter at all whatsoever. Uh, for the sakes of this argument or what we're talking about. But with McCarron, what I don't understand is that they sign a backup quarterback without any mobility at all. And it's like why why run why have Deshaun Watson, why have a backup without mobility where you have to run two completely different offenses if you do put Deshaun Watson in his best sort of situation where, you know, he's moving, you're running a lot of uh, jet sweeps and play action off of it. You run that super cool run offense with the with the option tosses. Uh, your reverses, all this sort of fun stuff that works so well in 2017 and in you know, 2018 when they decided to run it. And so, like, why go in a situation, go into a season if something happens to Watson? You haven't run an entirely different offense completely. And so, it's either like this, the circumstance that you're speaking that no, that's not the answer. It's gonna be the same offense. It's gonna be bland. It's gonna be you know a traditional, uh, you know, traditional your outside zone or whatever running offense with you know a, a shotgun passing offense to supplement it. But I, I, I hope that the answer is that this is just a dumb signing. That doesn't make any sense to have a backup quarterback without mobility whenever you have a guy like Watson as your primary quarterback.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to – because here, here's the thing. What, I'm, what I keep going back to is, is last offseason, we kept hearing that Deshaun, or that Bill O'Brien really wanted to move back to his offense, right? And we, you and I talked about it on the show. It's like no way he cannot really be <laughs> that stupid to go back to his offense. And what we saw was in 2018, especially off the bat, was Bill O'Brien once again thinking that he had Tom Brady as his quarterback. And and every and you know the problem is is that Bill O'Brien does not learn. So the only thing that he has been able to process is that he had a lot of success as an offensive coordinator with Tom Brady as his quarterback running that game plan. And I'll be damned if any other offensive strategy can work. And he just won't get away from the fact that he's making his quarterback make fifteen reads before lunch. And it's oh, it just so drives me up the wall. We're gonna ruin. We're gonna ruin Deshaun Watson. He almost got turned into Pink Miss last year.
0: <laughs> uh, I want to bring up a fun, a fun take that I remember from like two years ago, and it was whenever uh, Tom Savage started off as the quarterback, and then Deshaun Watson was the quarterback. And then there is actual Twitter takes out there by like professional football writing men that were, uh, De- Bill, uh, Deshaun Watson. There's concerns about him because he's untrusted because Tom Savage and Watson run two different offenses. When the reality is that Tom Savage can't run the same offense that Sean Watson runs because he has no mobility. Uh, it is a dynamic talent all whatsoever. And so I just want to bring up one of, one of like the absolutely dumbest, uh, I've read on the internet that you know, I had to argue with about or whatever. And so I think we're kind of the same situation with McCarron as well, too, that it's either you can look at it as O'Brien is in trust Watson to run the same offense, they're going to run two different ones, hopefully is what it is. But in reality, you just have a quarterback who has a special skill set that your backup doesn't have at all whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and I remember those conversations. I remember um, uh, I was running uh, Facebook, I think it was before a game, and i done a couple posts on that. And it was amazing how many people said, you're just stupid. Deshaun Watson's not better than Tom Savage. You're stupid. And, of course, you know, there's never any evidence. You're just stupid. And um, it took all of a half. I mean, did it really even take the full half to prove otherwise? So. Uh,
0: well, the good thing about that was it was as miserable as it was. So my worry was that Savage was going to start six games and maybe one in five and then they made the switch. And at least they made the switch sooner that year, too. And kind of the way the internet works is that you're right enough about enough things. And then people just kind of, you know, listen to you after they're wrong about enough things they argue with about. But uh, anyways, with McCarron as well too, I, I think he would have been, I'm so glad that it's 2019, not 2015, because AJ McCarron would have been the starting quarterback going into a Texan season. If it wasn't for Deshaun Watson, like he's perfect. Like he's made out of the same bones, his skin is stitched is stitched together with the same skin that Brian Hoyers was stitched out of or Ryan Malice was stitched out of or name Redactus was stitched out of or Tom Savage was stitched out. Like it's the same sort of quarterback. And like, even though the Texans have Deshaun Watson, Bill O'Brien has this weird, like, I can't quit you. Like I, this is what I like as a quarterback. This is what I miss. This is what I want more than anything. And like that fetish is still there. No matter how far we can move on, how much better other things are. And so it's just so funny that like, even though we're past all that, all those awful years of just like the most truly boring, just like disinteresting interesting Texans teams to watch aside from the defense for, you know, a few year or two years or whatever, uh, that even after all that, the fact that Watson's had their careers had so far that we're in this year right now, we still are you know, subjected to the same uh, sort of nonsense. And, you know, I think McCarron, you know, being a, uh, being the backup quarterback, I think it's more than, just in being the backup quarterback, I think it's just like such a great sig- signal and just like symbol for what's happened before and, you know, kind of Bill O'Brien and uh, what he likes and doesn't like it or what he likes and what he truly cherishes as a quarterback.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, when, when Bill O'Brien is gone, and I, I think I, I pray to Durga that he's gone after this year because I, I don't see this team, and I'll just say it flat out, I don't see this team being better than seven and nine. Um, that when this year is done and gone and he is fired, that my, my, when I envision Bill O'Brien, all I'm going to see is a white, tall quarterback who can't move, but he's perfect for the system because he can take hits. And remember, that's exactly what he said about Osweiler. He can take hits. That was the first positive thing he said about him. It's like, oh, my God. Is that your first trait you look for in a quarterback?
0: <laughs> Damn, like, I'm, I'm really upset right now. Like I, sh- I should be a millionaire. Like I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't be a middle class man. I should be a millionaire with all this uh, Tom Savage talk. I mean, uh, AJ McCarron talk, which is just right. kind of the exact same thing. And Tom so, Savage so- is is on the <laughs> beach right now. He doesn't have a job, so who knows? Maybe we'll we'll see a reunion there. And him playing in Cincinnati too, back up Dalton is kind of perfect. Also, uh, the last question I have for you regarding McCarron. We'll take a quick break. Is let's say heaven forbid something happens to Deshaun Watson, but if something happened to him. Do you think the Texans would be okay with McCarron at quarterback? Could they go, you know, two and two with him at quarterback? Could they go, uh, you know, one and two with him or, or two and three with him? some along those lines, do you have any confidence at all in McCarron-led offense for the Texans?
1: No, I think A.J. McCarron is what he's always been, which is just he, he was a, a moderately successful college quarterback. And I unlike
0: think unlike an all time talented team as well too. Yeah. Or like the quarterback, as long as you don't turn the ball over, you're gonna win.
1: Yeah. So And even
0: then it doesn't matter, probably too.
1: So he he started he did go two and one when he was with the Bungles and spot duty, but you look at his numbers and they're just pure mediocrity.
0: You should have won a ball-off no, game too. No. They should have beat the Steelers that year and they just had like that all time collapse where it just pretty much turned into a prison role on the field.
1: Yeah. So no that's,
0: that was the Joey Porter runs out to half midfield, gets shoved by Fix, and they call penalty in the Bengals game. And they end up blowing and they had that bad fumble as well that they lost. And yeah, what a sad, what a sad
1: year. Yeah. And he was terrible that game too.
0: Yeah. And Dalton, Dalton broke his thumb like two weeks before, like, and they were like 10 and 0 at one point, you know, that's, that's pretty much just like the 2011 Houston Texans in Cincinnati for him.
1: Yeah. So, no, no, I've got no faith in them. I just, I don't. And not only that, you know, we're going to talk about it, I'm sure, in the next segment. But if you don't have an offensive line to protect your quarterback and your quarterback isn't mobile, then it becomes Tom Savage part, duh.
0: Yeah. I think if the Texans are playing the Tennessee Titans, they could maybe win. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, it really just kind of depends on fools. But like if they play any team that struggle that would, that like has to run the football, because <laughs> it's going right. to promise you the same thing again next year in that way on defense. If they play teams like that where they can score twenty points and win, I think McCarron can do that. But if you're having to score twenty seven points, they're going to lose with them there. So with McCarron and like any confidence I have in his ability, it really just entirely depends on the opponent how many points he's going to have to score because anything more than seventeen is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a real. We're like tearing your, you know, tearing your fingernails. off sort of game to from even to that point.
1: Yeah, and if we're talking that McCarron is seventeen points, you know, it's going to be a struggle. Then twenty points with Deshaun Watson is going to be a struggle. If this is if we're going to see the same damn offense and not put Watson in a position to succeed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a quick trivia question for you because this one okay. of my favorite stat that I found out recently. All right, guess how many points per game the two thousand eighteen Arizona Cardinals averaged.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Is <laughs> the offense or the team as a whole?
0: Offense. Like how many points their offense average? They did a top 10 defense last year. Yeah. How many so, points their offense average last year?
1: I'm going to say 12 and a half.
0: 15. 15. Thirty second. But yeah, uh, I just love that stat so much. One of the reasons why like, I'm kind of excited to watch the Cardinals again this year too.
1: <laughs> you like train wrecks.
0: <laughs> well, I just think their their offense is going to be them isn't going to be that bad, and they have a good defense. But, anyways, never uh, talking about bad football, which I tend do too much of. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the offensive line and some other things. We're back. So after AJ McCarron was signed, after Darren Fells was signed, the other thing the Houston Texans did was they lost Kendall Lance to the Cleveland Browns, and they added Matt Cleal. And they've re-signed Sancho Henderson's kind of how their tackle situation has been this year. And so at a minimum this offseason, the Texans needed to add competition to tackle position. Uh, they wanted to go out and, like, grab a uh, really good starting caliber, you know, right tackle or left tackle. It'd be impossible to complain about that. Uh, you know, even though as much as I love Julian Davenport, I would understand, you know, completely. You know, I, I, I think I understand. It would, it would hurt my feelings very much, but I would understand it. So they lost Lamb, they re-signed Sancho Henderson, they had Matt Khalil. Uh, Davenport still kind of looks like the team's left tackle. So BFD, do you think the signing of Matt Khalil, do you think this gives them the flexibility to not take a tackle in the first round of the draft and maybe allow them to take one in the second, you know, pick 43, or in the third round when you pick, uh, I guess, 96 or whatever it is? Uh, so wh- what do you think about the Khalil side? Does it, do you think it substantially changed this team's ability to draft this year?
1: Oh, good God. No, Matt, uh, (laughs) this has not been a good football player for many years. And if you want to see why go to Rivers and Cowns Twitter feed and go check it out. Um, Cleal has always been somebody who I've watched closely. It is because of his brother, I think, because I really liked his brother coming out and kind of followed Matt's career after he came out. And, it could be. I think a part of it's just because of my Pouncy infatuation. Like Maurice and Marquise Pouncey, like they're both really overrated, and so I like kind of making fun of them.
0: I would disagree with that they're 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 really good. The problem is that they get injured. Like Pouncey and the Chargers completely changed their interior blocking. Like he was so good for him last year. And I think I think your your their injuries are problems, but they've been they've been great in the pros.
1: Okay. Okay, I'll defer mostly to you on that. I think that calling him like one of the best centers in the NFL is – I'm late. not
0: saying that. I'm just saying they're really good. I'm not okay. saying they're the best centers, but go back. Watch – if you I know you don't have the free time. <laughs> watch watch 2016 Chargers interior blocking and then watch 2017 Chargers interior blocking. Like he completely revolutionized their interior blocking over, you know, one season just by getting him.
1: Okay. I'll see what I can do. Stand by. Yeah. And then, uh, so, but if you go, go back and watch what you see, and what you see in Khalil is you see somebody who ha- absolutely does not trust his physical ability. And that was the thing that jumped out at me is, it, we've talked about when you hear something bad about an offensive lineman, oftentimes, you know, the saying is something, it looks like he's playing on roller skates. W- when watching Khalil play, it looks like he's playing on, rolling skate, or on, on roller skates attached to a... Um, Jumpy thingy, oh, can't remember what that's called.
0: Pogo anyway. uh, stick.
1: Pogo stick. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm old. I'm old. See, no, I got an excuse, dude. So, because his his legs are everywhere, his arms are everywhere. It's really, it's just there's no plan. It's really weird to see a, a, a tackle. I just. I, I don't even have the words to explain it, but there's no there's no base to his body whatsoever. He's just kind of backing up and flailing at the same time, and it looks more like an, an octopus out of water than it does like an actual football player. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to his movements. That's not an upgrade. I mean, he's been the worst left hackle in the league for a solid three or four years now. He's a terrible football player.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I guess he's probably been the most... I guess um, I would say he's not the worst left tackle in the league, but he's been the least valuable left tackle considering how much he paid him and then also his injuries as well, too, uh, the previous season. But, like, I don't know. Like, I remember watching him during the Carolina Panthers you know, run, and it's just they had to do so much to chip and protect him, and that's something that you can't do at all whatsoever when you're paying a guy, you know, $10 million to be your left tackle. So, I don't know. Like, I think it's fine as far as just adding tackle competition but he's not a good player. He hasn't been good uh, in a while. And, you know, he, he wasn't even on the Panthers team that made it to the Super Bowl. He was on the Panthers team the year after they lost. He sent that five-year, $55 million contract. And he was just like, because the Panthers are tired of having to chip and protect their left tackle like that, so they paid him, thought they would have to do that all anymore. And we're starting doing the exact same thing because he wasn't able to, you know, win his blocks on his own or whatsoever. Uh, and so like that was a, a big miss by, by Dave Gettleman there. As far as like a one-year, like if he's your third tackle, fine. He can come in and pass block. I, guess, I don't know. It's like having Chris Clark, I guess, in a way. Except even, I don't know, it's just very, it's, hopefully Cleo doesn't play at all is the best way to say it. Uh, so are you excited for Matt Khalil versus Julian Davenport left tackle competition? Uh, and who do you think is better?
1: That's like asking me, are you excited more about the ACL surgery you're getting ready to have or the full-blown colonoscopy? Which one is more exciting for you?
0: <laughs> um, neither, either one i would pick the i don't know
1: the colonoscopy is an easy winner because the rehab is better <laughs> uh,
0: i I was, I was just thinking about like well I, I like walking and so i guess i can walk a little bit with my you know insides all all chopped up i don't know i couldn't pick up anything heavy though
1: yeah anyway uh that's that's what it's, no i i think that this when we talked about wanting to have some sort of battle for the left tackle spot. Khalil's not the guy I don't think you bring in to create that battle. It has to be somebody who actually has some sort of skill set at this point in their career. And now, you know, all these things about Khalil, we're talking about his, his pure talent alone. I think he's also turned 30 this year. So he's already hitting the magic 30. And yes, again, I'm an ages. But when you look at the contracts, and I want to really emphasize this, when you look at the contracts the Texans have handed out this offseason, only multi-year contract I can think of off the top of my head is Angela freaking Blackson. Everybody and, else is getting and,
0: and Tayshawn Gibson.
1: And Tayshawn Gibson, thank you. But but when you look at uh, Calhoun, when you look at Khalil, and uh, all,
0: everybody She's else is harder. Yeah, everybody else has been one year.
1: We really really like these guys, don't we? So next year we get to go out and play the same stupid game of we're going to have to fill cornerback problems. We're going to have to fill fill left tackle problems. We, nothing we've done shows any sort of e- either strategy or long-term solution, right? Nothing we've done has really done that aside from Blackson and Gibson. Jeez. This is... Yeah, right. ah,
0: like I, I was fine with the cornerback position because there wasn't really any good cornerback free agent options. I'm like okay with this because I'm still like, I, yeah, I'm like... I'm completely biased, but this is, me being non-biased and saying... Davenport's better than Khalil because, he's, because he is. Me being biased and thinking about my heart is that I want to see Davenport start left tackle, get an entire summer to, to work at left tackle, go in the season starting left tackle, and not be changed as soon as something bad happens to Shantrell Henderson. Uh, that being said, the Texans do pick a tackle in, like, the first two rounds, and it's Davenport versus, you know, Henderson on the right side, fine. I can, I can live with it. Uh, but, yeah, like, I don't, I don't think Khalil's really a tackle competition at all that you want. He's a guy who, I guess, I mean, I, I keep, I, hopefully maybe he could be a competent pass blocker if something was to happen. Uh, he could come in and at least do that. But even then, I'm not, I'm not really expecting it at all. Uh, it's just been, it's been kind of just one of those off seasons. And again, I think the biggest problem with this is just that the Texans have Deshaun Watson a rookie contract. They're paying him $7 million this year. Now is the time to go out and spend money on free agents to make the roster as good as they can be. Because in two seasons, you're going to be paying Deshaun Watson $25 million a year. And then we're going to be making excuses that, well, it's hard to pay guys whenever we're having to pay the quarterback so much. You can, you can kind of see what happened to the Lions and the Packers and you know, teams like that that's pay their quarterback so much that other parts of the team suffer because of it. But whenever you have a quarterback that good it makes everybody better, uh, it works out. And the problem that you run into is whenever you pay Joe Flacco that much or Matthew Stafford that much instead of uh, somebody like Aaron Rodgers that much. But that's, I think, the frustrating thing about it. If this, if this was a team with the Sean Watson and paid $23 million, I'd feel great about this offseason. But this is a team with Sean Watson on a rookie contract. And I think it's just been a big uh, – like they, did, they didn't take the bat off their shoulder. They sat there and watched fastballs come through and, and didn't do anything at all about it.
1: I mean, how much different is this team? Even considering the cap situation, because it doesn't matter. You signed Saffold for three years, $15 million a year, $25 million guaranteed, which I'm pretty sure is far and above and beyond. Morse Claiborne got a one-year, $7 million deal. Who
0: did he I mean, sign with?
1: Okay. He re-signed with the Jets. Okay. And then, so, what's wrong with giving him two or three years at $8 million a pop? Yes, it's more than what the Jets paid Who cares? Right? We've got the cap room. All we're doing is spending Cal's inheritance. It does not matter right go out and sign these guys and and this team is markedly better markedly different and we didn't this there's little small steps to say hey look we're going to not spend around those margins oh wait we still got 50 million or whatever it is in cap space it doesn't do any good you can't take cap space to the grave with you
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't go you can't take it with you whenever you leave this earth uh, so we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, I have a couple of just broader questions to ask you, uh, and then we'll we'll carry on with our, our Tuesday. And we're back. So I know – well, I guess the first question I had here really isn't a question. I think we already answered that. Uh, but I'm, like, so random, so here are some random questions that I've seen be thrown around lately. So the first one I have for you, BFD, is would you like for Houston to move up in the draft and snag some like Ed Oliver – uh, Grady Williams, Andre Diller, or Joan Taylor, or do you want them to just kind of sit there at pick number 23 whenever the NFL draft comes up uh, next month?
1: I'm, I'm, i i got to admit I've mixed. Number one, we already know what Brian Gain wants to do, and that's trade back. At least we, that's what the speculation is, because here he is collecting all these compensation picks. It's like this compensation fantasy that he's got. Um if, if it were me, I, I would number, number one. I would have been much more aggressive in free agency, and so I wouldn't really feel like I'm in the situation. I would have gotten Morris Claiborne. I would have gone out and gotten Roger Saffold. I would have probably signed even Calhoun to a two or three year deal. I would have taken much more risk than what Gain took, which is zero. Like Gain took zero risk in this off season, so I, I don't think I'd be in the same situation. So for me, the, the one guy who's jumping out at me is Greedy Williams. Is that he might be a guy that's worth it to go jump up and get. It depends on how you feel about Davenport. I have a lot more faith in Davenport because you do, right? It's, I'm listening to people who know more than me and you really like Davenport. So I go out and get Greedy Williams because that cornerback hole is huge even still today and it's going to yeah. get worse next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know like Greedy is supposed to be like a taller, stronger quarterback. Uh, a guy usually uses the sidelines really well. The amount cover for Texas typically play, you know, he sounds like a, a fine player. I know the other two corner, like top cornerbacks this year, DeAndre Baker from Georgia, and then Byron Murphy from, Byron Murphy from uh, Washington. Maybe it's Byron Murray. I don't know. I don't even know who I am at all. And uh, so I haven't watched these guys yet, but those are kind of like the top three cornerbacks. I'm still in the camp that I want to see Houston take a cornerback in the first round, but I don't want to see them trade up at all the draft one. I think you just kind of sit there and then uh, pick whoever comes your way. And then even then, like you can trade down to 27 or something like that. If like one of these quarterbacks, because there's the quarterback thing's weird because it's Kyler Murray. And then they're thinking the guy from the zoo, Drew Lockman, move up to the top 10. And that's kind of like the year before where you have three or four quarterbacks who are gonna uh, come around or, or like be like a fringe first round picks. And so if you're in a situation where a team is quarterback hungry, like maybe Miami, Maybe they want to trade back up into the first round to make a pick and you're moving down 10 spots. You get an extra second round pick or something out of it. So uh, even that, you know, if there's three cornerback options available or the tackles are, are still kind of sitting there. That doesn't seem like the worst situation either, but uh, I don't want to see them trade up. I like to see them either stay where they're at or you know, try and move back, maybe 10 spots at most. If, they, if It comes down to it. Uh, but I just, again, it might, that opinion may change whenever I actually start watching some of these uh, young men in like two days or so.
1: Yeah, that's kind of Michael as well, I'll start tonight on the quarterbacks. So I'm going to start with uh, Tyler Murray. I've watched him a lot already, but it's time, it's time to start diving into the quarterbacks and see what we've got here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a question asked me. I don't know if it was, it was necessarily this wasn't asked me. This is one of the questions I think I saw on the side of the comments, and he said, what are some traits you look for in offensive linemen? Because I think, you know, as the draft is – for down, yeah, like now's the better time to start looking at draft draftable players. Uh, and so like offensive linemen, it's kind of weird because it's, I don't know, the way i watch like film is I just kind of watch the same thing over and over again. And then you just look for patterns and then uh, those patterns kind of develop from there. And so like, with offensive linemen, it's just kind of in pass protection, if they're quick enough to meet the defender, at the point of attack and run blocking ability, like uh, how are their feet or are they're, they hitting their head spot? Uh, are they able to get hip tip of their double teams? How do they feel whenever they get to the second level? and also just having, like, enough strength and athleticism. But I think the, the kind of, like, the most important thing about offensive linemen that people don't really think about is the hand usage. Because, like, Xavier Sufio had the, you know, the fee to be a good offensive lineman. He developed the strength here in Houston to be a good offensive lineman. But his hands just were never corrected. And either the Texans didn't teach him that, or he just never learned it. And I think another really good example of a guy hands is Colton Miller from the Oakland Raiders. So they were moving to right tackle. His hands are just atrocious to UCLA. He has, you know, great athleticism, all those sorts of things, but he has terrible hands. And so if you're watching offensive line video, try to find a tackle that you like that you can, uh, you know, put into a locket for yourself, Um, a hand usage I think is a really important thing to look for that kind of goes missed with offensive line players.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the nuggets I've gotten from doing the show with you is is how important the hands are. And so I'm not going to really add much to that. The, the the one thing that I enjoy seeing, which this is going to be really kind of esoteric and goofy, is I like seeing how the the, the angles of the kick slides yeah. and the lightness of the feet, because that all will blend into kind of the overall balance to be able to handle if this is going to be a bull rush, this is going to be an outside speed rush, especially when you're looking at tackles, like how they're able to adjust to that. And I think a lot of it for me comes down to is, is the angle of the kick step? Is it going out at the right angle? Is it too acute, too obtuse, and throwing off the overall balance? Um, but man, just listening to you talk about it all these years, it's it's really becoming more, you know almost as much about the hands for me as it is about that the feet.
0: Yeah, and, the, and that kick slide things you're mentioning is important because if the guy is you know taking more of an acute angle, it's because he doesn't have the foot speed to get to the point of attack on time. And I think the one thing to keep in mind with that though is that certain players have learned how to play without, you know the perfect kick slide by you know, making little wrinkles in her technique to make up for it. And like I, I said in the thread, like Derek Newton took a vertical pass set. His like second year in the lead because he would have the footwork. And like he still made his blocks. He wasn't giving up sacks. That's just what he had to do to get there in time. And his feet, you know, caught him from there. Uh, Cam Fleming's is a really good example of that too, where he he has trouble getting there at the point attack, but he takes a slight drop step to deepen his pass set. And you know, as he goes as he goes uh, at an angle on his kick slide. You you make little, little changes to, to correct it. And so the kind of important thing is they're like, this is the limitation the guy has. This way he doesn't make up for it. But it doesn't mean that he's a terrible player that, that can't play because he doesn't do the thing the exact, the exact specific way that you're used to seeing and expect him to do.
1: Yeah, that's why I mentioned, wanted to go make it all the way to the balance because if you don't have the balance, then ultimately you're going to get caught off guard. And that's what really struck me about watching Khalil is the dude is just yeah I, there's no balance i mean it's like he's neither prepared for a bull rush nor a speed rush he's just kind of bouncing along on a pogo stick on roller skates there's nothing there's nothing there that tells me he trusts his athleticism to to succeed
0: yeah he's that he's that used car blue ballo- used car lot balloon animal guy always having a smile on his face flopping around in the wind pretty much out there <laughs> that's a great analogy I like that one uh we had we had a twitter question from Stroh's fan I know and he said is Khalil an upgrade over Fels and I think he just means that by like pass blocking only which I I don't think so like I think Fels is probably even better Fels pass blocker <laughs> than uh Khalil is and so I I would answer probably no to this one but uh yeah like I don't know the Khalil thing is just it just there's just so much there's just so much to it, and it just sucks that there wasn't a, like a, any like really good options at all in this kind of spot except for like you know Cam Fleming or whatever. Uh, I don't like Donald Penn also because you know he's old, but also he's just such like an a hole like trying to fight fans in the parking lot. You're being injured, and he's just I don't know. He's just uh, he's such a swashbuckler, you know
1: yeah watching some of the uh daniel fells highlights I, I started wondering what if this guy when he was like 20 19 years old decided i don't want to be a tight end anymore i want to go be a left tackle and i think he could have been a really good left tackle <laughs> it's really good
0: yeah well and jason it's... peters was a tight end and then he put on 60 pounds and became a left tackle
1: and he's awesome
0: yeah and then the eagles you know, restructured his contract as well too, to create cap space and You know, shout out to the Eagles for doing that every offseason for the past three years, just, like, being up against the cap and then just wiggling their way around and creating space and uh, making their team immediately better every time.
1: Yep, and they're competitive Uh, year in, year out, and and not in a Texas sort of way. They're actually competitive.
0: Yeah, so I have another offensive line question. It was mentioned today, uh, like, the tweet that you you threw up there from the (sighs) Texans beat reporter from The Athletic, and it was a couple of, like, bullet points from Bill O'Brien. He said that the Clowney franchise tag, and in the, in the in the spirit of it, you know, meaning the contract <laughs> extensions going on, uh, there also came up that Martinez Rankin. They see him as a guard, not a tackle. And then there was like two other things. Do you remember the other two points that he made I, during that?
1: I went numb when I saw the Rankin one.
0: Yeah. So so they're expecting Rankin. They're looking at Rankin as a guard only. Uh, a lot of people also said on the internet that. Rankin could play center because they said he can snap the ball. Brian Gain also said the Texans were going to add interior pass rushing help. This offseason, they haven't done that a lot either. Uh, so, I don't know, like, would you rather have Rankin compete at right tackle for an entire offseason, or would you rather see him be in a competition with San Diego at left guard and uh, have a chance to, you know, have an improvement at the left guard position or, you know, kind of compete with Sancho Henderson at the right tackle position?
1: This goes back to, to 2018 and why it was so stupid to screw around Rankin and Davenport. Look, if you didn't think, like, all of a sudden, like, Rankin's not good enough to be a right tackle, but he was great as a left tackle last year. Man, this that that's what frustrates me. That's why Devlin needs to be just gone, or whomever was given Bill O'Brien that advice just needs to be long gone, because, look, you've wasted a year of Rankin's uh, development time, and this is somebody who should be a starter. He was a third round pick right yeah so there's another third round pick you're you're washing down the drain because you you didn't know what to do with them and this is a team that can't afford to do that so i think the whole thing about the he's a guard is silly i absolutely believe that he should be in a competition with henderson at right tackle and let them battle because who else is going to compete with henderson
0: maybe maybe davenport they draft a quarterback if they draft a tackle or tackle and, you know, maybe if Davenport plays the entire year, right tackle, fine. But I think he's too good of a natural kick slider. And, like, he's gotten strong enough. His hands are good enough to, you know, be playing right tackle. I think he's more of a left tackle, 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this, this thing about ranking, I think the idea that he's a guard only is based off him playing left tackle last year. But, again, you don't – even watching his college film, it's kind of obvious that you don't want ranking playing left tackle. You want him playing right tackle. Uh, that's a better spot for them, and and so now this has come up where they want to play guard. The other things in this in this tweet from Aaron Rice is the athletics B report from the Houston Texans. He said there is no change in football operations since Bob McNair died, and the other one is that the Houston Texans. Uh, this one was made just for UBFD. The Houston Texans want to target running backs in the passing game more this year.
1: Oh, this <laughs> That's right <laughs> i can because we don't cuss on the show i cannot say what i my response when i saw that i just was like wow
0: yeah the, the hits keep coming they don't stop coming
1: i, I it's just I, it's just speechless just speechless at, at bill o'brien's lack of ability to understand that that this is the year 2019 and it's not 1974
0: yeah, or if you're going to target running backs in the passing game, you need to do it in a fashion like the Philadelphia Eagles did with Darren Sproles and kind of did with them last year. Or the Kansas City Chiefs use their uh, running backs. I don't know what the running backs that you have, you want to be targeting them more in the passing game. Unless they add just like some you know fourth-round gem this year, but uh, who knows when it comes to in that regard. But I, I do love that too because they did target the running backs along the passing game, and it was – All right, uh, Deshaun, you're looking one, two, three. Nothing's there. Uh, Check down the flat. And then the flash is Alfred Blue, and he gets tackled. You know, he has no buy around for five yards, gets tackled for a three yard reception on third and seven. They're punting. So that's uh, hopefully, if they do target the running backs more in the passing game, they do so in a much more dynamic and interesting and creative way that uh, actually can pick up first downs.
1: And and you know, you mentioned it, Matt. It's, It's shocking that Alfred Blue has absolutely no market as an NFL free agent. I mean, I can't believe teams aren't throwing 50, $60 million guaranteed his way.
0: Yeah. I don't, if he, if he even signs with somebody this offseason, I will be shocked. We did like a, a free agency fits podcast in the LA studio uh, last week. And I was said when well, my free agent fits was Alfred blue with the Atlanta legends, of course, because he's not, <laughs> he's not an NFL player. Uh, so the draft is going to be here in a month. Fiesta is going to happen. Uh, the flowers are out. Ooh. My heart split open. It's time to uh, read the sound of fury. I was also laughing the other day. It's not the sound, it's uh you know instead of the sound of fury, it's the sound in the in the furry. Right. And Benji instead of you know being somebody who's uh, mentally handicapped, he's just a uh, he's just a furry instead. And so that had me laughing for a good like fifteen minutes, <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah, it's time to read Mary Oliver po- Poetry, listen to the Hotel Year's Goodness, listen to Sidekicks, Happiness Hours. Like, it's that time of year. And I think it's also kind of the time of year, too, that once the sun goes down, you can kind of watch an NFL draft prospects. So I know you mentioned you're going to start watching Carla Murray, these quarterbacks. Uh, is there anybody else that you're going to be watching? And uh, what are you interested in watching? When are you going to start this uh, this endeavor you're about to undertake?
1: So it's going uh, all I do is, is focus on quarterbacks and uh, because I... I I don't have the bandwidth to take more than one position, and I think the quarterback is the absolutely most fun position to watch from a scouting aspect because you see guys like Vince Young and Johnny Manziel who have such success at the college level, and it, unless you kind of watch game in, game out and understand what, what system they're in and why they're why they're so successful, then you get this misperception that they're actually going to be good at the NFL level, and these guys aren't going to be good. You know, Nathan Peterman was considered a, a – two or three, uh, second or third round prospect. Christian Hackenberg was taken in the second round. Look, all you have to do is watch five or six tapes on these guys and say, yeah, Nathan Peterman is fantastic if you want to throw a bunch of screen passes. So I really am fascinated by watching the quarterbacks play and watching the systems that they're in and how there's such a tremendous, tremendous disconnect. On many of these guys, between the, the ones who are going to be successful and the ones who aren't, just because of the systems that they're in in college. Yeah. And I tell you, I tell you what, if I'm, if if my son would have wound up being, well, he's going to wind up being close to it, but if he would have been a six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound quarterback, I would have absolutely said, no, you're not playing for Cliff Kingsbury. Screw that. You're going to go play for a real system. Yeah. Oh, that that's kind of yeah, my I, I, uh, take I, on it from from the quarterback aspect.
0: Yeah, I, that's pretty funny. I was also thinking about just, like, other Texans quarterbacks that should it there from 14 to 16. Uh, Nathan Peterman's a good one. Also, like, Houston 100% would trade for Joe Flacco. Oh, in God. Uh, we're, we're, so I'm trying to think some other good ones out there. You know, Webb Davis. Webb Davis would be been good, too. Uh, Eli Manning would be perfect here. You know, there's just so many just, like, slow, white, tall quarterbacks out there that the Texans could have had. That you know, we never had the opportunity with.
1: Oh my gosh, it, it's it's heartbreaking. We're gonna be we're having the JJ Watt conversation today about how we're wasting his career. Like the, the well, I mean, we
0: we had that conversation I think like five years ago, and why they should have taken a quarterback. You know, why they should have made an impact to the quarterback, uh, made an impactful quarterback decision in 2014. You know, we that, that that bridge has already been wasted. That time's already happened.
1: Well, and now it's gonna be Deshaun Watson. Yeah, well, it's we, rubbish. It's utter rubbish.
0: It's still early. I can't. I can't say that just yet. It's still early, but maybe one day we'll we'll be having the actual words and and everything you're saying to be truth is me a hundred percent true. But not just yet. There's still. There's still hope. There's still. Uh, there's still water in the water flowing in the springs of the desert. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna start watching. There's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it. At my five favorite free agents. My five least favorite free agent signings tonight, and then I'm gonna just watch some draft stuff. Cause I'm going to stay in town this year for the NFL draft and Fiesta. Cause I feel bad, you know, leaving and disappearing during the NFL draft. A lot of also has to sit at home and take care of it. So I may watch the entire NFL draft this year too, just for, and probably just do like a live diary of it maybe. And so I'm going to start watching these guys, I would guess maybe on Wednesday or Friday or whatever. And so I'll probably start watching the offensive tackles first, see what video I can find and then watch some cornerbacks and then, can I just go in and order the mock drafts like from one to 32 and kind of see like how good Quentin Williams actually is or Bosa is or uh, Josh Allen is and, and those sorts of guys. So that's the idea. So that way, whenever the NFL draft happens, I can go on Twitter and say, well, wow, crazy. I can't believe they did that because this guy's good there whatsoever, because that's what that's what being alive is all about.
1: <laughs> that's just a great ending. I've got nothing to add.
0: Yeah. So, Uh, that's it for tonight's show i think next time we do a show for texans related only we'll probably talk about the nfl draft i would guess uh and then i think we'll still be doing the la studio shows i know i want to do like a five you know pretty much do the favorite free agent things this week maybe do the power rankings or whatever as we kind of get closer to the draft and that sort of thing but anyways thank you for the one question tonight thank you for listening to today's show make sure you hit that subscribe button so it's right there on your phone Uh, that you carry with you all the time. And thank you for being on tonight with me BFT to talk about uh, our favorite football team, the Houston Texans.
1: I had a blast.